Hi everyone, it's Gracie with Self-Care with Gracie. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm here today with Miranda Novak of the Women Don't Do That blog and podcast upcoming. So hi Miranda, it's nice to have you here. Hi Gracie, I'm happy to be here. And Miranda is, she is, you do many things Miranda. You, I was reading your bio, you are a um, government relations specialist, you're a coach and a speaker, you are a, a mama of two boys, you are a Canadian, you live in Canada, and you, you <laughs> yes. have, you're on a, a really long maternity leave, which I'm, you know, I'm, on behalf of all people from the United States, a little jealous of. <laughs> and then you and your co-conspirator, Stephanie Minton, have just started a podcast and a blog called Women Don't Do That, which is dedicated to women who want to live, um, seems like really embodied, unconventional, honest lives. And I, I would love in our conversation to get a little bit more into what your vision is for the podcast. But I, you wrote me uh, a, about a month back asking if I would be a guest on your podcast, and I was really honored and excited, and we had our conversation last week. Mm-hmm. It's a great conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I will, um, once that conversation is ready, I will cross-post it with this, with, with this conversation. So this is really part two of our conversation that I was excited to have Miranda on, um, on our podcast. So I'm looking forward to getting into talking about self-care and its many forms with you. And I'd like to start by hearing more about you and uh, your life and your story and what brought you to the point of wanting to create something like women don't do that. Sure. Thanks, Gracie. Well, I loved how you described it. It is absolutely a project where we want to share the story of women who are change makers and risk takers and who have refused to just accept the status quo, but who want to really make uh, Canada and you know the world, their communities, a better place. So we have been really fortunate to talk to some incredible women, including yourself, and um, we're really excited to amplify those voices and build a community of, uh, of like-minded women. Um, that being said, you know, we don't have to be completely like-minded. I'm sure we'll disagree and that's welcome, but just have an expe- a respectful environment for that and, um, and learn from one another. That's awesome. Well, what, what made you want to create this in your life? Like, what was the process of, of leading up to you being like, yeah, we need to have more resources like this? I know for me growing up, I had a very traditional upbringing. My mom stayed home and my dad worked really hard. He was an entrepreneur. And I, I had a wonderful childhood um, that certainly certainly gave me a lot of that you love and support and all of those good things that you need. However, I always knew that I wanted to work and I was rebellious, I think, to the traditional, some of the traditional values that I was taught or the ideas of women have certain roles, men have certain roles, pink and blue jobs, and just wanted to push that boundary a little bit. I remember being taught different things growing up, you know, be careful not to go to university for too long because you don't want to end up without a husband and without kids. And these are, these are important things. Women have to be mindful of this. And so that was, that was always something that I questioned and, and learned a lot about growing up. And when I went to university, then there was more self-discovery around my views about those things and just how those ideas had put women in a box for a long time and 
had some damaging consequences, I think, for, for women as individuals, but then for society as a whole. And so that was certainly something that led me to pursue uh, the ideas of feminism and confronting the pa patriarchy and just what that meant. And then my partner, Stephanie Mitten, she had an experience where she put her name forward as a possible candidate for a uh, federal election. And so that exposed her to a lot of really um, entrenched ideas in her part of the world, in her community. She was in rural Ontario. She was confronted with all sorts of ideas, like women, you know, need to be careful how they describe themselves. Don't call yourself tenacious. That's not a feminist. That's not a feminine quality. And, you know, make sure that you wear dresses and you pull your hair back and that you behave in this certain way. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure who I'm voting for. I need to ask my husband. And just all these different examples of decisions based on gender or, how, you know, how we should behave because of our gender. And so she in experiencing that thought, I really want to do something about this. I really want to have more conversations around this. And so the two of us got talking and here we are. <laughs> Fast forward a few months, we decided that, uh, you know, this would be um, something that we could do to shine a light on just women's empowerment and stories of women who have really confronted those same issues and, 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 and done so in a way that can empower others. Well, you're, the name alone is just, you're so clear about what you're doing there. <laughs> well, thank you. We know it's a little bit cheeky, but we like that. Um, and we, it's been interesting to hear different people's responses to it because some people get it right away and like it right away. And other people are a little bit c confused. And what do you mean by that? And so it's a conversation starter too, which I think is good. And I, I appreciate that within your vision, you really created space for dissent, because mm -hmm. I think that that is the essence of what you're trying to do is say that even when sometimes when we're trying to, you know, stand up and do the right thing and be righteous, we can we can quickly fall into conformity, which is more of what I think we're trying to confront is, is people as human beings, but often as women or people who don't hold as much power within a society. So it's, it's great that you make space for there to be different opinions, but rather it sounds like you're making a container that can hold a lot of different realities of what it means to be a woman. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We just want to spread the message that you get to decide for yourself. And even if you pick all of the quote unquote traditional things, if you want to get married and stay home and have kids. Well, that's wonderful. Feel empowered to do that. As long as you know that that's the choice you made for yourself, because that's what you want. And so it's just no guilt around whatever you choose. Uh, I think that's really an important part of the community we want to create is it's not, you know, you have to be working, you have to be doing these certain things. It's just own who you are and support others for making different decisions. I love it. I love it. Well, congratulations on making an idea a reality too. That, that's a, I Thank think a lot you. of people have ideas <laughs> like you do. Like, I want to start something. I want to do a podcast. They, we see what's, what's not working in this world and we're like, let's do something about it. So I, I appreciate your actualization of it and that you're, you're making it work. Thank you. It has been a lot of work. I think the podcast should be launching, uh, well, a week from today. So I don't know when this episode will air, 
but um, but we're looking at early April that we'll be having our episodes available. So it's so exciting. Yeah. Well, I know a really big part of your story is that you are a mother of, of two boys and you're also the mother of a child who passed away, Brody, when he was 16 months old, which sounds like it was a, a a few years ago that this happened? This May 2nd, it will be two years. Two years, yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm so sorry for your loss. I think it's, um, as as a, a mother of a child with a bat range, when, when you first shared the blog post with me, I was like, oh, it's like this, she's kind of living out like what feels like my worst nightmare. Of, like what would I mm-hmm. do in that reality? Absolutely. And so yeah. I, I, I really appreciate you sharing and I'll, I'll link to the blog post within the show notes because it's, it's just, it's you're so inspiring even within the loss of just being able to really talk about your obvious experience of how you how you got through it and I'd love to hear just a little bit more about what what you've learned and what that what facing that fear in yourself brought for you I would say that you're right it was certainly not anything I ever expected to experience in my life it was such a shock that it brought me to a place I never imagined I could be. It just the hopelessness and the pretty constant fear was so heavy. And because of the overwhelming pain, truthfully, I'm thankful there was enough strength and hope that had been given to me by my, you know, my parents or my church community or my relationship with Jesus, there was enough of that in me to say, okay, I cannot stay here. I cannot let this win. I cannot die too. I can't change the fact that Brody died and that tormented me for so long. It was so hard to accept that, but I could control whether or not I died, whether or not my, my joy died. When I say, you know, whether or not I died, I mean, whether or not, you know, the life inside of me went out, I could control that. And even though it was so very unclear and felt very impossible at the time, I just kept speaking those words. Uh, I chose to start a, a blog initially then, um, hopeinmyheart.com that was just to write uh, the thoughts that I had and just write through my experience because it pushed me to continue to confront all of those horrible emotions, the guilt, the shame, um, and all of the questions, you know, you're so angry at God. You're so angry at yourself. There's so, there's, there's so much that can just squash you. And so, um, that experience caused me to push through those things and choose well, it you know gave me the opportunity to push through those emotions and choose joy despite what had happened. And so I have found through that process that I've been able to learn different tools and uh, you know different mantras or things that I say to myself that help me stay positive and help me recognize that I can be happy despite what's happened. Thank you for sharing that. I really feel like the the process when you talk about it, it's like like I feel there's a, like a deep journey there. 
and to mm-hmm. come out on the other side of that and be able to share and uh, really educate other people and help other people. I have other parents who have lost children reached out to you from sharing? Yes, yes. I was so fortunate to have an incredible community around me. And so initially there were you know, people that I knew would give me names of other moms they knew who had lost children. And truthfully, Gracie, it took me a long time to be comfortable with speaking with any of them because I just kept not wanting to acknowledge the reality that I had joined that club. I know there was one name I had heard her story before. So this friend of mine, um, she told me about, oh, I, I had this friend and her, her, you know, healthy child died suddenly at, at six months old. And it's so sad and all this. And, and I, you know, I had my, my two kids alive at the time and I thought, oh, that's terrible. I can never imagine that happening. I just couldn't imagine what it'd be like to go through that. And you just really push it away because you think I can't even let that in. That's so, you know, terrible. I don't know how that happens. And so when it happened to me and she said, oh, would you like to speak with this mom? I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that I am one of those moms now. So it, it was hard. It took time to be willing to have those conversations and open up. But I did end up going to a retreat for bereaved moms. And that was very helpful in terms of hearing stories of other moms and sharing my story. There's certainly a power in sharing your story. And, and just having that understanding that only those fellow breed moms can really have. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, um, I I think it's like everything in life that we have perceptions about it until we've actually gone, gone through things in our lives. And, um, and then there's something really different about the, the like crossing into the different territory. When my father passed away, I'd like, kind of an idea of what it was like to lose a parent. And then the reality of that was just so much more complicated than like any idea I ever would have um, put in there. And what I, what surprised me, and I'm not saying that this is what you've gone through at all. um, But just what surprised me was just within the loss, there was just a lot of love and a lot of joy and a lot of moments that I like couldn't really even describe to other people because it was like, it wasn't just the one note of what I would have thought of being there for my dad when he died. It was, there was just a lot more texture and nuance and being in, in that. I, what I felt really in that experience was just, was grace. It was like, this is really, really, really hard, but yet there's this larger, like even for me when my, um, just the, I wasn't supposed to be there when my father passed away. Like I had to teach a yoga class and it was really last minute that the doctors had asked us to come to the hospital and all of a sudden, really last minute, someone offered to sub my class, which is so rare. And then I was able to be there and I didn't think that would be his last moments, but it was. And just that, that synchronicity of that happening in there, like that was so, such a balm to be able to hold some of the grief of being like, okay, well life, life kind of was holding that for me in a way. And so it's, it's just, for me, I know that when I, when I first got that message from you, I, there was a part of me that was like, I don't want to look at this. It's, I don't want to face my fear, but it, 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 mm-hmm. it feels like there's so much that we can do for each other as human beings by facing the fears and facing the situations that really life has handed us and being able to sh- come out on the other side and share about them. So I, I'm curious about what your, what your writing practice is like, because that, that seemed like the place that you went for, for therapy for yourself to be able to write and share is that is that something that you knew to do before or was that something that came out of the situation 
Well, I love what you said, Gracie, about feeling like there was a somewhat divine intervention in creating this way for you to be there with your father in those last moments. Because I know there were so many things right around the time that Brody passed that just, you just felt like, okay, however, whatever your beliefs are, I believe you, God knew this was going to happen. And, and God was giving me gifts along the way to help prepare me for it. But yes, right after Brody passed, I actually said to my brother, I need to start a blog. And he kind of didn't necessarily understand why, but he was so supportive. He's like, okay, I'm going to help make this happen for you. What do you want to call it? And I said, okay, well, I, I, I wrote this poem the night before Brody died, which makes no sense to me, but I know now that it was this poem that was supposed to be a gift for me and I, it was hope in my heart. So let's call it that. And we, we made this blog and I just started just sharing openly what I was feeling throughout the day and the experiences I was having. And at first I didn't really know why, but as I, as I would read more, um, I, I mean, I read, uh, one of Brene Brown's books and daring greatly. And she actually explains in that book how it's so powerful to write about what we're experiencing and to share our stories and how that reduces the, the effects of the trauma in a way and can help us turn it into good. And so <laughs> I'm actually writing this article right now. I'll post it soon, but I want to call it how to Marie Kondo your mind because <laughs> that's really what I did through my writing though. And, and when I, you know, Marie Kondo teaches, okay, you're going to clean your closets. You're going to take all the clothes out of everywhere, every corner, and you're going to put them all on the bed. And then you're going to look at that pile and you're going to see what's there. And that is, can be a really profound experience alone, right? With writing, for me, it was a way to take the thoughts, not just from deep in the crevices of my head, but pull them out and put them essentially, you know, on the bed, right? Like put them out where I could see them all. And I could look at them and say to myself, okay, do I want to carry this around? Do I want this to be what is in my head for weeks or months or years? Or do I need to leave this there? Do I need to get this out and let it go? And writing just helped me to, uh, first of all, to confront shame. Because I think when you have those thoughts in your head, some of these feelings of guilt, right, of anger, you can fear disconnection. You can think to yourself, if anybody knew they wouldn't love me anymore. If anybody knew, they would judge me. And so blogging and writing and just sharing and putting it out there, like that vulnerability just was a way to just rid that of its power, right? Like take strip shame of its power. Like, no, I am not, I'm not going to let myself feel judged. I'm not going to let myself isolate myself from my community. Um, I'm going to push for connection and be open about this. Uh, so yes, so that, that, that was really what the power in writing for me was just pushing through those emotions, combating them, being honest about them, 
um, and asking myself, you know, to stay with the Marie Kondo process, I guess, does this bring me joy? <laughs> and a lot of times, no, these thoughts aren't bringing me joy. So I can say, thank you for the lesson. You know, thank you for the empathy that I now will have more of for other people, but goodbye, goodbye to you. I want to fill my mind and fill my heart, fill my home that I live in, my family with positive energy and positive thoughts. And despite all of the reasons why I can think of that that is irrational, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to figure it out and find a way. Yeah, that's powerful. Thank you for sharing that. And I relate a lot about the writing. I, I, I found that for myself has just been such a powerful self-care tool over the years that when I'm feeling shame and what I, what I, my therapist describes shame in this really great way that she's like in, in the wild when, um, when a, like a baby monkey loses its mother, if it's crying out and crying out and crying out, it actually makes itself really vulnerable for prey. And so the impulse of shame is actually to like go down in yourself and to hide, to stay safe. And so it actually is a nervous system response when we are feeling exposed or, or um, that we, we go inward and we take all of our pain inward. We make that about us and our wrongness and it's a way of actually staying safe. And when she described it that way, I was like, oh, it's a much more compassionate way of understanding it myself than just be like, oh, there's my shame again. And, and that, so like the counter action for me has always been like, if I'm feeling this way, I have to have faith that other people might be feeling this way too. But in order to do that, I have to take the risk of being vulnerable and maybe no one else is like feeling that way. And the more uncomfortable I am with sharing it, usually the more powerful it is to share it. And I'm like, I've never shared from that place and not had people write back and be like, thank you so much. Like I thought I was the only one. And I think that's how shame works with it. Like I think that's the title of another Brene Brown book. Like I thought it was just me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh, I love her teaching. Yeah. It's so helpful, but yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly right. Is when you choose to be vulnerable and you put yourself out there, you're essentially holding your hand out to others. And what I really hope can come from this horrible experience that I've had is to help give people permission to let go of their pain and to give themselves permission to choose joy, regardless of what they've gone through. Just to know that there is nothing that has happened in your past that can keep you from being fully alive in this moment. And I really thought at points in my journey, I'm never going to be fully happy again. Like, how could I? What I've lost is immeasurable and will never be replaced. And I would be a horrible mother to choose happiness after this. I would be a horrible mother to let go of the pain. Brody deserves for me to be sad for the rest of my life. He deserves that. What's happened is so terrible that there's just no other choice. And I'm thankful that I was able to push through that. And a big part of that was writing letters to Brody, actually just writing letters to him and coming to the awareness that he doesn't need me to be sad. He does not need my pain. It's not doing him or me or my other children or my family any good. And so I I hope that I can help people along those journeys um, to, to know that you can put your pain down. You can, you can give yourself permission to do that. And whatever's happened in your past, joy is still absolutely available for you right now. 
that's that's so profound to hear you say that. And I, I'm imagining people out there that's landing in a way that they really needed to hear it too. So thank you. And, it, and it's interesting because it, it relates back to, I think, what you're doing with women don't do that is that you're giving women space to just like Marie Kondo their image of what it means to be a woman and put it all, yeah. put it on yeah, the bed. I like that. Hug it. <laughs> see if it brings you joy. Like, is that really true to my experience of being a woman? And there are certain aspects of being a woman that like are very conventional that I just love. Like I, mm-hmm. I really love keeping my home. That makes me so happy. I love cooking. Like I love nurturing. I love like being that, that like force in my family and then there are certain aspects of it that I, I don't claim and that don't feel like me. And like, I'm, I'm not going to be small as a woman. Like I'm like, I'm a big life force. I'm going to take up space. I'm going to tell you what I really think about things. I want to be challenging. And so it's, it's like, I, I, I think that what can happen sometimes when we're like, okay, well, we're just going to throw out the past. Like we're not that anymore. And it's like, no, we are that. But I love the idea of really giving ourselves space to choose. And like, um, and what I think we need for that is, is space to be able to like, yeah, like put it on the bed, be supported, decide who, mm-hmm. but doing that is kind of like deconstructing our identities too, which can be challenging. So I'm curious about that. Like how has you coming to this place of really consciously choosing your own identity as a woman, like what's that process been like and how have you seen that, that change who you are? Mm. <laughs> it's terrifying in a lot of ways because I love my family. I love my church community. And there is, for me, there's certainly a fear that came from the possibility of not just agreeing with every little thing that I had ever learned from them. And just, again, that fear of separation. Oh, no, well, if they find out that I don't agree with a certain thing, well, then they're not going to love me anymore or they're going to see me differently or I'm going to lose influence with them or lose respect. So there was certainly just this tremendous fear of, uh, of, you know, wanting to conform just to maintain those relationships in that community. And what was so surprising to me is as I was blogging and as I was being honest about the hard things that I was going through, people at church or people from work or, you know, people I hardly knew would message me on Facebook or come up to me or, you know, tell me, oh, thank you so much for writing that. I I feel that way. And sometimes I feel so guilty for feeling that way. And thank you so much for writing that. And it was, it was really surprising to me. Like, okay, okay. Like, I don't have to be so afraid. Like this needs to be said. And I'm sure I'm not saying it perfectly. And I'm sure I'm wrong about things still too, but I, I can be honest about that journey. And yeah, like you said, there's aspects of, you know, traditional femininity that I love. And there's aspects of my traditional childhood that I love and that I hold on to. And then there's also things that I think, well, I don't want to make that decision based on gender. I don't want to be told that I have to, or can't do that because I'm a woman. And so navigating that has been scary, but it is so, uh, it's so empowering to just confront that fear and and push through anyway and get to a point where you, you actually really, you're more confident in your, in what, in your beliefs when you take that journey, I think. And my parents did always raise me with that, that you need to decide for yourself what you believe and know why you believe it. And I'm thankful for that because if you say you have faith, but you're not willing to question anything, then 
how can you really have faith in what you believe? If you, if you really have faith in it, then you should be confident that it will stand up to the questions. So go ahead and ask the questions and seek, you know, seek knowledge and you'll, you'll end up, I think, being a much more confident person and more accepting of other ideas too in the end. So it's still a process. I don't feel done at all. And in fact, I think that that will be a journey I'm on the rest of my life. And I, I define myself on my blog as part of my bio as a curious Christian. And then that's part of it. I'm still curious. I'm still learning. At no point do I ever want to say I have it all figured out. And uh, yeah, I'm enjoying that process as hard and scary as it can be. I, I, yes, this is so good. Well, I am curious, how would you, because I think there are a lot of people out there in the world who are in feminism, especially, who consider themselves feminists, to think that like a, a traditional Christian archetype of a woman and a feminist might not have space to fit together. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So there's so much around that, right? And I, there's such a spectrum in the church today. There's churches that teach that women are most welcome to have full participation and encouraged to lead and be themselves. And then there's still absolutely churches that have very rigid views, what I would call very rigid views of scripture and, and, and boxes around women. And so women don't do that definitely comes from that place as well. I had my upbringing, like my church was much more open and and supportive of women in leadership and, and some of Stephanie's upbringing, like she was confronted with a lot of very strict views around even, you know, women covering their heads at church and, and women not speaking at church. So yes, there is a great spectrum, but I, I think it's really important again, to tell women that just because you may have been taught something growing up, doesn't mean that you need to reject everything that you were taught growing up because you reject that idea. And Stephanie and I have had conversations around the fact that it's really important for the church to make room for the full participation of women because, I mean, we look at, Stephanie has two daughters, and so she'll talk about how she's raising her daughters to know that they can do anything, and they see a world full of opportunities for them, and they are allowed to participate fully at school and in clubs and all these things, and so they're they're not going to be okay with being told that at church, we define you like this, and your participation is limited to this, right? So that's something that I think the church needs to continue to confront. There's been so much progress. It's wonderful to see now there's a church in Ontario called The Meeting House. The lead pastor is Brexy Cavi, and they actually just did a series called Her Story, confronting all the horrible things that have been said by leaders in the church about women, about their intelligence, about their role in the home, um, and you know, the idea that the man is the head of the home and has the final say on all things. And so they confronted a lot of those issues in, uh, through scripture. So if that's, if that's something that, you know, uh, the lens that people want to look at that issue with that, that, um, series, her story by the meeting house is very powerful, but I hope that we see the church continue to have those conversations and to acknowledge that we're missing out on so much when we limit half of our population's full participation. We, we all benefit when we empower women. We all benefit when we empower men and women, right? When we, when we empower people, however they identify themselves, like let's, 
<laughs> let's not put people in boxes. So it is an issue that I'm sure we will talk about as the podcast moves forward and the blog moves forward because there's so much hurt. There's so much hurt that's been done there and there's so much need for healing. Mm-hmm. And what and what I think we've been talking about a lot in this podcast is that the self-care around that healing or what can bring healing is that we have space to talk about it and to lay it all on the bed, grieve mm-hmm. the losses, be held accountable, share our real feelings, and then we can start to put it back together, which is, you know, both a really simple statement and it's also, I, I feel the complexity of that too, of like what it would take to get to that place where we could have a really critical conversation of what, what a whole faith might, how they, we might evolve in that way. And I grew up in a really laid back Christian church. I'll call it that. I, I grew up in unity churches, which is like, it takes a, a very metaphysical view on Christianity, uses the Bible, but it's, it's like a lot about parable and like really looking at the deeper story underneath the stories. And so I've, I've always just been really cool with Christianity. And I also like really love Buddhism. Like I love a lot of other faiths, but I, the thing about like Christianity that puzzles me sometimes so much is I'm like, but that's not what Jesus said. Like Jesus was just mm-hmm. such a hippie. Like Jesus was like, <laughs> like come as you are. And like, let's see like past the illusions. Let's see to like what is eternal within us. And I've, I always, I always just super identify with Jesus when I heard about his stories and the way that it was presented to me. And so it's, it's just interesting to see how that message has gotten changed over time and in different ways. Cause I really do think that like Jesus would be all about us, like taking it all out and like hugging it to see if it brings us joy. It's, it's interesting that you say that. Cause I just went for, I just went out with a, a couple of friends last night and we both, well, there was three of us and we all went to the same Christian high school together. And one of the, one of the women was saying, you know, I want people to know that I am not a Christian. She's like, don't identify with that anymore. I'm not religious. I don't want any part of that. And I asked her, well, what do you think of Jesus? Like what? And she's like, well, I'm good with Jesus. Like, I think she used the word rock star. She's like, Jesus is a rock star. I read the story of Jesus and I think he is awesome. The way he confronted you know, the oppression that was going on, the way he did not care about what people thought about him. He did what he believed was right, what he knew was right. Like, he's amazing. I'm like, okay, but I am not a Christian. <laughs> and so I think, like you said, there's, there is so much healing that needs to be done because there's, people have taken Jesus's message and done all kinds of things with it that that aren't bringing people closer to God, right? Ultimately, I believe Jesus came to give us, to end religion so that we could actually have, instead of religion, have a relationship with God, know God for ourselves, like commune personally with God, not have somebody in between us, you know, not have a man-made list of rules that we need for God. No, just know God, know the love of God ourselves. And if that's not what, if that if 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 our church is giving us something other than that, if our church is just giving us religion, then there is something really wrong there because that's not like you said, that's just not the message of Jesus. That's not what he came to do. So it is interesting to me when the church is turning people off, and certainly not all churches, not at all, but when religion is turning people off from what is supposed to be a message of love and acceptance. And, and I, like, I, I can imagine that people out there listening right now that we all have a different relationship with the word God and what that means for us. And uh, it's, I think it can be loaded in, in a lot of different ways. And to like, 
as you're listening, if you do notice yourself having a reaction, like I invite you to like take it all out and put it all on your bed. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, there is so much power in that. Don't leave those thoughts in the crevices of your head. Acknowledge that they're there. Really, like it's changed my life to write letters to God, to write letters to myself. I mean, Brene Brown, we've gone back to her a few times. She talks about the power of writing yourself a permission slip. Like in school, right? I give myself permission to be happy. I give myself permission to forgive. I give myself permission to be silly. Whatever it is, you know, there is just power in putting it out there. Yes, put it all on the bed. Look at it for what it is. Don't hide it. No, and see what's authentic for you, what you actually want to put back in there. And I I know it's like in 12-step recovery, which is just a, you know, healing modality that's very close to my heart. A lot of people I care about have gone through it, and I I attend 12-step meetings around growing up in a family with addiction. And a big part of 12-step recovery is about higher power. And it's it's like they use the word God in some of the literature, but a lot of it is it's like they say it's like a God of your choosing, that you have to find the higher power that exists for you. And for some people who can't wrap their head around like like a God in the sky force, they really come to like the higher power is the group. And the higher power is what happens when there's a group of people who are sitting together intentionally for healing. And there are other people I know that they really feel God when they're in nature and that whatever that connection is, when they are just out there and in the quiet of nature, they can hear it. And so just, I think there's so many ways. It's like this, I think like many paths, same truth. Like we come back to the same thing, but it's like, there's so many different ways to access whatever that, that higher power is. But there's, there's just something that I, I feel like it's a step that's hard to skip to have a spiritual life (laughs) to feel that there's something bigger than us out there that we're connected to in some way that connects us to each other in some way so I don't think I've ever talked about God on this podcast before so I really really appreciate (laughs) well thanks for being open to it Gracie but yeah like you're saying just like we don't want to be put in boxes I don't think God wants to be put in a box and I don't think God likes when we try and do that um even throughout my my journey healing after Brody passed I was so angry at God at points, and I remember this, well, I wrote about this, this process of starting to see God as my mother, and how that, and this was actually even before Brody died, like, because it was, he was, we didn't talk about this very much, but he had a very rare genetic disease, and we were not expecting that, you know, he was born, and we thought everything was good, and, and, and then we were shocked with this very heavy, serious diagnosis, and so that kind of began, there was anger right away there. Like it was very upsetting and coming, coming to God as my mother, seeing God in that different way was very, I I think actually helped us sustain our relationship because there was just so much bad blood, I guess, if you can call it that and just unanswered questions and, and disappointment. I was so disappointed, understandably, right? I was expecting a healthy child and, and my first son had had all these issues as well. And so to have, you know, to go through this again with my second, I was just really crushed, but yeah, they're they're taking the, taking the box off of God and just seeing that God can be present with us. God can meet us where we're at, wherever we're at. And if we want to see God as a man, as our father, or as a, as a woman, as our mother, God's fully comfortable with that, <laughs> really. Um, I think if we, we don't understand how big God's shoulders are. 
I, and again, I know that's not, you know, your podcast doesn't always talk about this issue. So, <laughs> you know, yes, thanks for, you know, being open to that. I, I hope it's okay with your listeners. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think whoever's listening out there right now, I think in, in your reaction to what's happening, like there's information there and that's in like every, like there's no, you can't skip a step on like in terms of like your spiritual path. Like it has to be authentic and it has to be the t- right time and it has to really land in a way. And so, but I, I think the only way we can even start to think about where things land is to have a really honest conversation around where we're at with things. Even like you're saying, creating a space where we can disagree about things or, so it, I just want everyone out there to just feel like whatever you're feeling right now is like the right feeling. And like, that's mm-hmm. just the keep, keep curious and keep interested about what having a spiritual life means for you. And, and it's something that I, you know, I think in the past I would have been like, oh, it's a choice. And I'm, I'm actually, I don't feel that way anymore. And this, the, I really felt this a couple of weeks ago with the shooting in New Zealand and the mosques um, where I was like, the reason this is happening, and I felt this so strongly that morning, is because we're, we don't have a spiritual life. Because there, we cannot handle like the loss or what we perceive as being the loss. And we project so many of those fears onto other people. And I actually think what you went through is that at the root of a lot of a lot of the dysfunction that I see out there collectively. Like we're so afraid of our our own people not doing well. We're so afraid of our kids being hurt. And it actually comes from this love. And I think it's when we don't have something bigger to hold us through the inevitable ups and downs of life that we can project so easily. And we, we just get so shallow with ourselves and our opinions and our ideas when we don't feel like that bedrock within us. And that can be compassion if you're looking at a Buddhist faith it can be like faith and grace if you look at a Christian faith um but it I really do think that like that's the work we all need to be doing is cultivating like what is this inner bedrock in us that goes beyond just like a physical life and and how, where how does that inner bedrock like connect us to everyone else's bedrock and like for me that's that's like a god concept and so I think before I, I didn't really want to share about this because I didn't want to offend anybody and I was like oh it's a choice and now actually I'm like no I think this is a responsibility that we all have to really like figure out what's transcendent for us and figure out the spiritual tools in our toolbox because this is like what we need to move forward and create a, a world where people can exist mm-hmm. so that's that's my thinking I haven't articulated yeah, that preach <laughs> preach Gracie <laughs> I, that is such an important message. And I, I do think we need to not be so afraid. If we're speaking our truth in love, we've got to get better at that. We've got to get better at that. If we're going to confront some of these issues, like you're talking about, if we're going to help combat the shame and the fear and the hopelessness that is causing people to do these horrible, violent acts, if we're ever going to be part of the solution of those things, which seems so daunting, right. And so far removed from my own reality. But if we are ever going to cultivate healing and right, it's going to require us being able to speak our truth in love and to receive others truths in love, even if they don't match up or align exactly with our own. Hell yeah. Yes. Yes, yes. And love, love is such a good word to use here too, because I think like love can be like something we all agree on. Like we all know it's powerful. We all know it's something we're searching for and like what it feels like to love or be be loved. And and that it, it is like such a choice, like as you're saying before, like I really equate the energy of joy and the energy of love to be very similar to one another. Mm-hmm. When we're in joy, we're feeling love. And so to be able to figure out how to do that for ourselves and how to realize that love is not something we're searching for outside of ourselves, but really like an internal state that we can 
we can be finding. Mm-hmm. And to remember that God says, you know, God is love. That if you're, wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, to remember that point is that, that's the starting point, I think. Okay, God is love. That's my starting point. Where are you going to go from there? There's lots of places to go from there. Uh, but you, I think you, you need to start there. That's step one. Love. Yeah. Love for yourself. Love, love for the people that surround you. And then I think the love can get bigger than that. Well, you know, as you know, this, this podcast is about self-care. So I always like to ask the, the guests on the show to talk about self-care. And so I, my question for you is two-pronged, actually. One is how would you define self-care for yourself, knowing that there is not one right answer? And two, how would you, looking at your story, really look at how self-care has been a part of your story? Hmm. Okay. So part one, for myself, I define self-care, I guess... <laughs> this seems almost too convenient as self-love. I really do. I teach my, my oldest son is six and I teach him, you know, you got to love yourself. You have to love yourself. And that means being patient with yourself. That means being kind to yourself. And that means believing the best in yourself and forgetting your past mistakes and hoping, you know, looking towards for a bright future for yourself. So that's really how, you know, for myself and my family, we choose to to define self-care. And I mean, there's actual tangible actions around that, things that you can do to show yourself kindness. Uh, but that's, I guess, the framework that I have for that is that just how we define love, you know, making sure that you're applying that to the way you treat yourself. And then for my own journey, self-care has been absolutely necessary really be, you know, being open to going to therapy and, um, and reading, <laughs> it's been a huge part of my self-care goodness, reading, listening to podcasts like yours and, and many different podcasts and, and teachings and feeding, right. Feeding my, my spirit, feeding myself. I call it, you know, the good wolf. If, if you've ever heard that idea of the bad wolf and the good wolf feeding the good wolf with, with some of just the brilliant, um, wisdom that is available now. Uh, because ultimately what was so motivating for me was the reality that, okay, I still have a son who's here. I mean, when Brody died, I, I had a four-year-old, you know, he's six now. And now I have, um, my youngest son, my rainbow baby, who's nine months old, but I had to remember whether I do well that's going to have a tremendous impact on my son who's still here. And I need to take care of myself so that I can be the mother that he needs. And so that I can be uh, a wife to my husband and a daughter to my parents and, and all of that, right? So that I can be present for my life and my community. And I think if I hadn't have made the choices to take care of myself, then it would have been so very different. Right. I could have stayed in a very, very dark place and missed out on so much and and robbed my family of so much more than just, you know, than just Brody. That's not the way to say it, but robbed myself of even more than Brody. Thank you so much, Miranda. It's really a gift to hear your story and your strength. And I'm so inspired by your resilience and the way that you're putting that out in the world, not just for you and your family, but also for like your bigger community and how that's reaching to whoever's listening to this now too. So 
how can folks stay in touch with you? I know that this podcast will probably be landing out right as your first podcast from the series will be coming out too. So tell us a little more. Yes. So womendontdothat.com is our forum. So we, we share blog content there and then we'll be posting the podcast as well. And the podcast is just women don't do that. And then you can follow me on Instagram at Miranda. And then my original blog that I mentioned before, it's hopeinmyheart.com. I'm not as active on that one anymore, but it's all still up if people want to read through that journey. I hope it can encourage them. And uh, yes, thank you, Gracie. <laughs> it's, it's, thank you. I appreciate having this opportunity. And maybe I'll just finish by saying that I am still very much on a journey. There's still so much to figure out. And by no means do I think that I've arrived at any impressive place. I'm just hopeful that, you know, I can reach my hand out to others and say that whatever you're going through, you can keep going and get through it. And there's something worth arriving at on the other side. Mm. Thank you. Yes, yes, it's it is really, and, and you know what? I am still deeply in process too. I think anyone who talks about not being in process anymore and having it figured out would probably be the person to like unsubscribe from whatever they're putting out there. <laughs> yes, it's it's a never-ending journey. There's yeah, we don't ever want to think that we know it all. We we don't. The more you learn, the more you you realize you have, you know so little. Yes, yes, yeah. But but we can take care of ourselves in the process and actually like like. Mm-hmm do a lot and feel a lot and be a lot and and in the process of it. So I I, am so grateful. And um, for those of you who are listening, thanks for listening. And thanks for being open to this conversation. I imagine it was um, inspiring and challenging and like taking you places. I would would say, like, I've never said this after a podcast, but I would journal a little bit after this podcast, like go, like, look at what it brought up for you, pay attention and, and see what comes next. So Um, and as always keep taking care of yourselves out there. So we'll, I'll catch you on the next podcast and thank you again so much, Miranda. Women don't do that. I'm very excited to listen to your first podcast. Thank you, Gracie. Thanks so much. Bye. 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 Hi, this is Gracie with beautiful life self-care. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I hope you learned something new. If you want to connect more, then visit me at selfcarewithgracie.com. There you can sign up for my weekly newsletter where on Wednesday afternoons, I'll send you more self-care practices, more inspiration, and more opportunity to connect to a community of people who really care about really good self-care. Also, write me if you have any other questions or if you have ideas for future shows. My email address is selfcarewithgracie at gmail.com. Thanks a lot. And remember, keep putting yourself first and everything else will fall into place.